Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy, your guest co-host, Ben the Bane Davis. Today, we're going to be talking about UFC London, and it's going down this Saturday afternoon live at the O2 Arena in London, England. You got the heavyweights in the main event. I mean, you got perennial top 10 Alexander Volkov taking on the young gun Tom Aspinall. And no pun intended, this is going to be a very tall order for uh aspinall to pass and we're gonna we're about to find out where both guys uh, still lay in the uh heavyweight division my man stakes are high i mean especially with francis and Ganu now undergoing the surgery you have to anticipate dana white looking to book that interim later in this year and if somebody makes a big statement right here I don't know. We could see him on the other side of that equation, but the card as well. I mean, we are but three years removed from their last appearance at the O2, and I am just stoked to see that they have um, make made this an event. They could have given a tough card, you know, one that didn't have a lot of names, but they really showed up and uh, showed out with all of the hometown heroes that are being represented. And I mean, damn, I would have loved this card in the States, Dan. This would have been great. Oh, yeah. I mean, either way, we're watching. And the co-main event, I mean, you got – one of my top prospects that's flying under the radar, Arnold Allen. Guys quietly put together an 8-0 win streak inside the UFC's octagon. Is it a, what you're saying? Seven and zero? It's eight and zero. That's eight. Eight and zero. Eight and zero. He's taking on another, no pun intended, tall order in Dan Hooker. I mean, we're talking about a guy in Dan Hooker knocked out Gilbert Durino. He's been in there with everybody and was actually fighting at 145 pounds a few years back. Said he'd never make the cut again, but never say never because this uh, Saturday night, live at the O2 Arena, he's making his return to the featherweight division. It's it's a very interesting situation. Contextually, we look at that 162-pound photo that he posted several days ago. That stirred the pot significantly. I don't know if I can put a lot of weight in that, Dan, because, again, we know that he made a test cut at the PI, got down to 145 successfully. So is this an example of Hooker playing into the um, you know masses a little and trying to maybe give Arnold Allen some kind of, oh, is he going to make that weight? Oh, is he going to be depleted? Hooker's mind games, as we know, are certainly there. But in terms of recent years, the results haven't been. It's been an interesting back and forth. He's fought some of the best in the game, but he's come up short at these big career moments. This certainly is another one of them. And there's just a lot to talk about. Dan, I'll let you lead into which fight we're discussing first, but I'm just pumped to break down this one with you. Oh, I am as well. There's so much to get into. And without further ado, my man, let's get right down to business. Let's break down this whole card start to finish because kicking off the prelims in the flyweight division, we got a matchup between the very hyped Mohamed Mokayev. He's 5-0, and taking on Cody Durden, who was 12-3. and And currently, they got... Mohamed Mokayev minus 350. The comeback on Cody Durden is plus 300. Now, I have a very strong opinion on this one, not in terms of a pick, but just in terms of the hype of Mokayev. But I don't want my opinion to influence yours at all. So I want to hear you go first because I have a feeling we might be on the opposite sides on this one. Potentially. I will say I'm high on Muhammad. However, I do uh, think that in terms of competition that he's faced, you know, IMMAF, they've got some great guys, and he's certainly faced a couple of the pros. And I think that 6-0 record, you know, he's undefeated. He's got that confidence. He's got that swagger. And they've been chatting back and forth. And Muhammad can trade verbally. I'm hoping he can trade inside the octagon. And um, I don't know, 4-1, to one, right, over north of 3-1. Uh, to one, It's just 
that is a heavy favorite for a guy making his debut against a gentleman in Durden. Now, I'm not really sold on Cody Durden. Durden, what, Jimmy Flick gave him that flying triangle not too long ago, and that was a fantastic moment. Uh, so I don't know. Obviously, the post-fight speech against, um, I think it was Richie Lang in his last outing, correct? That didn't earn him many fans. And so <laughs> in terms of my own personal opinion, I'd love to see Muhammad extend that to 7-0 and and, um, you know, keep that undefeated ranking. But when you're making the debut, the jitters, this this mental game, and Durden, of course, having two bouts under the UFC's octagon, Dan, I, I just, it's a toss-up. I'm going to go with Makai. I will go with Makai. I'm going to go by decision, certainly, right? I think that he's going to extend to the full 15. Don't really see a finish. He's got two by KO, two by sub uh, out of his six wins. So decent finishing rate, but again, against lesser competition. I'm not sure if he can snatch one against Durden. Would love to see it. Uh, but that's kind of my take so far. I mean, if you're calling it a toss-up and it's minus 350, that sounds like a dog or pass situation. <laughs> and you know what's interesting? Look, I get it. This kid Mokayev's talented. I would not debate that. And he belongs in the UFC 100%. Like, you're not going to get an argument from, from me there. And maybe he goes on to do great things, okay? We just don't know. But when people's biggest talking points about someone is their amateur career, like, that's literally what people are bringing up. Like, to quote Allen Iverson, what – we talking about practice now? We ain't talking <laughs> about practice, man. I mean, like you're literally bringing up amateur fights to make a case for this guy, and you hear him talk. And look, I remember when I was 21, I was a dumbass, and I mean, this guy's talking about how I can stand and bang with Davis and Figueroa right now. It's like, kid, slow down. Just because you crushed a bunch of bums and amateurs, which Cody Durden, by the way, would also run through, doesn't mean you're gonna have that kind of success inside the UFC's octagon now. Maybe he goes out there and does it. But as far as this matchup is concerned, I truly believe this is the first real fight that Mohamed Mokayev has ever been in. I mean, I mean, as of right now, his toughest challenge was some dude from SBG. We all know SBG, uh, you know, besides uh, the diamond in the rough Conor McGregor. I mean, they ain't been so hot. I mean, I know the New York Times bestselling author is their coach, and uh, you already know the <laughs> deal there. But at the end of the day, man, um, I don't think this kid's been in a real fight before. I think that every single opponent he's fought has been broken before the fight has started. And this guy, Cody, is going to come in here. He's going to try to punch him in the face. We're talking about um, a national champ wrestler from here in Georgia. So honestly, man, I, what I want to see here is, look, win, lose, or drop, I want to see Cody put this kid in a real fight because that's when we're going to know what Mohamed Mokhaev is all about. And if Mohamed Mokhaev can can swim in deep waters, then props to him. But this whole, you know, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna beat John Jones' record for, you know, the youngest champion UFC history. How many times do I have to hear that shit, Bane? I mean, Edmund Shabazi and Macy Barber. Like, can we stop? There's only one John Jones. So, like, please, like, cut just it out. Lose, just lose the narrative. Terrence McKinney, you don't want to talk about being a double champion and then get ground and pounded out by Drew Dober in three days later. It's just like. I, I love the confidence, and I think that's what a lot of these guys confuse with, right? They're setting these lofty goals, and they're internally, like just like an Olympian, you visualize before you do it. I completely understand that, but let's respect the game a little bit. I completely agree. Dern's going to give him a fight, for real. Win, lose, or draw, I think Dern's going to show up. Um, and this is 
Kind of what we saw Aspinall in when he fought Andre Arlovsky, a guy who tested him. He had to switch game plans a little bit, go to that jujitsu base, get that submission in round two. Round one, I mean, he was kind of looking a bit gassed potentially. Um, and that's something we'll definitely talk about in the main event. But in this situation, I'd love to see a bit more of a, a fight for Muhammad. I'd love to see him face that pressure, that adversity, rise above it, um, and 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 live up to that minus 380 price tag that he's currently listed. Minus three, uh, whatever. Yeah, 380. I would love to see him cash and start off strong within the UFC. but. The line, in my opinion, yeah, it's too inflated, and then I'm, I'm not, I'm not tossing any bets uh, in this one. Look, I mean, I know, I know, I know the official record for dirt in the UFC says one, one, and one, but you got to take it, you got to put it into context, man. I mean, right. he's had success and moments in all three of uh, those UFC fights. I mean, the first one, he goes in there against Chris Gutierrez on one week short notice, up a weight class, fights him to a draw, wins the first round, 10 eight. Next fight against Jimmy Flick. I mean, he was whooping on Jimmy Flick until he got caught with that flying uh, triangle, which, by the way, if Mokayev hits a flying triangle, if anyone <laughs> in 2022 hits a flying triangle, I mean, you'll get a double shoey from me on that night, 11% stout oh, or better. And then yeah. the next fight against Horichi Lang, yeah, we can sit here and say he's 0-2 in the UFC. I know y'all saw that fight that kid had with Jeff Molina. I know y'all saw him drop the very tough and talented Jeff Molina in that third and final round. And for this whole talk about Cody's cardio, I mean, Cody was the one digging deep in that third round and putting it on him there. So uh, I think Cody might bring something to the table, might spoil some plans. But look, if Mokayev is truly, you know, the second coming, like everyone's trying to act like he is, I personally disagree. But if he is, I'm, I'm okay being wrong. I've been wrong before. I'll be wrong many times again. I just have to see it to believe it. This is his first real fight. So for that reason, I believe there's a dog or pass situation. And I'm going to go with Cody Dern to win this fight. And on a separate uh, pop, uh, on a separate podcast, we can talk about his post-fight comments because I do have an opinion on that. <laughs> I, um, I mean, personally, I'd never say some shit like that. But I'm also under the impression that, you know, I think that if he wins this fight, he's going to get on the mic and say, I had to send this kid back to Russia, too. So I don't think he had anything against <laughs> his last opponent. He's just, he's just sending him home. It's not anything about that specifically. He's just, yeah. I'm going to make sure they get home safe. And, you know, the, the last thing I can say about this one, Durden did technically retire Jimmy Flick, you know. <laughs> yeah, straight up. So let's say some career uh, ups for Durden. Maybe didn't get the win there, but Flick's not fighting again. In my mind, that's a Durden win. Um, but, yeah, I, I agree. If I'm going to lay anything, like I said, we'll – We'll refrain from putting money down, but I, I agree. Plus 290, that's good odds for a guy who's, who's passed the smaller tests that are being kind of under the radar this week. Could you imagine if he got on the mic and said, I'm going to send this kid home back to Russia, prayers to Ukraine? Like, he get, I, I feel like he might get shot. Like there's going to be a sniper in the rafters <laughs> of the O2 that's just like locked on. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's going to need some security like Colby did in Brazil. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Oh, so, yeah. yeah. But Can't wait for that one. So, next <laughs> up in the strawweight division, we got a matchup between Elise Reed. She's 4 and 1, taking on Corey McKenna, who is 6 and 1. And currently, they got it. Corey McKenna minus 235. The comeback on Elise Reed is plus 195. Listen, this, this fight, in my opinion, has red flags all over it, uh, Bane. I mean, for a variety of reasons, both super inexperienced. And I talk about this all the time. Fighters with 10 pro fights or less, you're going to be seeing these big leaps every single time you see them out there. So we don't know what version to see of either fighter. And there's some red flags on the McKenna side, especially when you're talking about laying, what, minus 250, something like that. First, I'll, I'll talk about the concussion stuff in a sec. This chick has a 58-inch reach. 
I, have you I, like we were making fun of uh, that dude Chad and Hellinger for having like a 64 inch reach. All the chicks on the card he fought on had longer reaches than him. This girl has a 58 inch reach. That has to be like someone. Let me know in the comments. Is that the smallest that's reach a, in in a US record. history? Yeah, that's the floor. Is 58. I God. I mean, it's interesting. You know, when you look at. Elise Reed, some of those wins in the past, you see Jillian DeCourcy out there, Jasmine Judavicious, who just had a great performance against Kay Hansen as well. Um, you know, I it's interesting on that. And the Eubanks fight was a tough one, but I don't know if I can see Corey McKenna doing that or replicating that performance. Admittedly, will say, so I'm not speaking out my ass a little bit, have not researched this one all too much. I saw the line. I was just like, Same. saw the records. I was like, I don't really give a shit, you know? Um, <laughs> hope McKenna extends that win streak to five, but at the end of the day, this was not one that piqued my interest in any way, shape or form. Um, you know, we'll be tuning in, but not as closely as some of the other bouts on tonight's card or Saturday's card. <laughs> no, of course. And I, and I mean, just here's all the info I have to give on this fight. We talked about the reach, but Corey was taking some time off with concussion issues. That's a massive right. red flag because if this fight stays standing, I would actually say Elise Reed has an edge there, but on the mat, not that Corey McKenna is some takedown machine, but we've seen fights where Elise has been taken out one time. The fight was over shortly after. Granted, it was against the black belt. It was against someone much bigger, but it still happened. So both are very green. They're still developing. Um, it, it's a tough one to call. I mean, I do lean with the favorite Corey McKenna, but you're not going to catch me dead uh, laying a price like that on her. So, yeah, that's my pick. And uh, let's move on to what is a very exciting prospect matchup. I don't know about prospect anymore because it's 15 and over. It's 18 and two. These are serious records in the Bantamweight division. We got Jack Shore. He's 15 and 0, representing Wales, taking on Timor Valiev, who is 18 and 2. But between you and me, Bane, he's 18 and 3 because Trevin Jones did knock him out. But he was yep. smoking the devil's lettuce. So they uh, overturned it. So yeah. Uh, and currently, they got this fight is a pick em with a slight lean on Timor Valiev. It's minus 125 Valiev. The comeback on Jack Shore is plus 105. So. This is interesting because we know what Timur brings to the table. Um, most oftentimes when you think about these Russian fighters, you think about the amazing grappling backgrounds, whether it's the Sambo, the wrestling, or just wrestling bears back in fucking Dagestan. But with this guy, <laughs> I mean, this dude is more of like a point striker. You know, he moved to New Jersey, trains under Mark Henry. He's been in there with, uh, with Frankie Edgar and all these guys his entire career. So. You know, if this turns into a fifteen mon uh, into a fifteen minute, uh, you know, point fight and kickboxing match, I'm not saying Jack Shore can't have success there because Jack Shore is a young kid. He is going to be making big leaps every time, but that's the kind of style that plays in the team or Valley of his hands. That being said, I don't see knockout upside for Team or Valium. I don't see submission upside. I see maybe a takedown or two, but I don't see domination on the mat upside for Team or I basically see if Team or wins this fight, he's edging out a close decision. Whereas Jack Shore at times has been very, very dominant on the mat. And I did see Trevin Jones, albeit taking that complete ass whooping, land a takedown on Team or Valium. And honestly, man, I know, I know why Teamer won that fight against Hione. I get the point system. You know, he, he outpointed him the first and third. Got but between volume. you and me, Bane, according to the Love streets, that. according to pride rules, according to, you know, uh, grown man rules. And he, uh, a lot of things that have more merit potentially than the actual result of that. He was, he got knocked out. His ass twice. was unconscious. Yeah, I mean, Hione <laughs> was giving everything that Valiev could handle. Um, but that's the big distinction. We know Barcelos has that power, such a talented stand-up guy jack tank shore 
more fundamentals. Like you mentioned, he is a young kid. He's still developing that side of things. And eight out of 15 wins being submission, clearly somebody that favors the grappling realm a bit more. I will admit these two seem a bit more evenly matched, evenly that's up for debate. But if it hits the floor, my mind on this fight is whoever gets that top mount position, whoever starts to transition and have more success, just 1% more, that's who is going to win. And you bring up an interesting point. Valley of's best chance in your mind is a close decision. Guess where the fuck we are? Jack Shore's uh -huh. backyard. Uh -huh. And the, the judges are not going to give any close decision to anybody that's not from that side of the uh, the pond. And so if this goes to uh, the, the three attending officials ringside, I feel like Shore's going to get it done on points um, because I do believe. Right. This kid's very talented. Um, and I'm kind of upset that they gave him a guy like Valiev, who definitely is a, a, a good fighter. He belongs in the UFC. He's not a cannon in any way, shape or form. That fight against Henry Barcelos, his lack of the stand up, I feel was a bad representation of him because he is a great litmus test for people at that division. Um, and you look at Patty Pimblett getting guys like he did, Ilya Tupori, having Jai Herbert. Um, I'm like, man, we could have given sure something in that realm because it's look this card. You want these Brits to succeed. And uh, Jack Tang Shore having the hardest test out of all of them is interesting. But if he passes, which I think he will, and in flying colors, I think it's either going to be a submission stoppage or a decently dominant decision within two rounds uh, to one where Jack's controlling 10 minutes. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it, they're, they're both – they've got a lot of the same tools, which is which is what was interesting when I was doing my research for this one. The leg kicks of Valiev certainly could be a problem if Jack can't turn that knee out. Um, but those boxing combos of Shore – could also be a problem. He doesn't have the power, but he's got that consistency, you know, and sort of that volume. So we'll see. It's a toss up. I've got short by sub because it's like plus 700 or some insane line. I mean, shit, that's inflated for a guy who's got over half his wins by submission. You're saying plus 700. I get, I don't think Valley has been submitted. Let me double check real quick. Yeah. No subs. He hasn't faced Jack tank short, you know? So I don't know. I, that's, that's kind of my take on this one. No, I mean, listen, I mean, it's definitely a step up in competition for sure. But when you perform the way Shore has been performing, you're 15 and no. Now it's time to get that step up in competition. And when you look at the numbers that Shore has been putting up, I mean, listen to this. He lands four strikes per minute. He only absorbs 1.5. That's a beautiful thing, especially when you're considering this guy's known for being a grappler. Then you take it a step further. Let's look at these grappling stats. The guy lands on average five takedowns per 15 minutes. Got a hundred percent takedown defense. I like everything I've seen about Jack Shore. We just got to understand, you know, there's something I like to talk about, Bane, that Unless your name is John Jones or Habib Nurmagomedov, no one is exempt from that first L. And if this is, you know, vet lesson time, that's an expression we came up with here on Half the Battle, then so be it. You know, every fighter has to take that first L because for me, being undefeated is actually a red flag because it means you haven't truly fought the right guy yet. So if Teamer is the right guy to hand him that first L, so be it. It's just that Teamer fights so close. And this guy, Jack Shore, doesn't seem to me like he's willing to take a knee for nobody. I think he's going to be in there tooth and nail the entire time, land that opportunistic takedown to steal off the round. And you, and like you were alluding to, my friend, a close decision in the UK. I mean, do you want yeah. beer thrown into the octagon or do you want everybody to go home happy? And plus, <laughs> with I, I'm going to bring up this angle, too. With some of these fights, uh, the judges ain't been liking the Russians lately. I know you saw that Tagir versus Tim Elliott fight. Yeah. I mean, you might agree, might disagree. I thought Tagir won the second and third. Look, a fight can be close, but a fight can still be clear. And uh, they weren't feeling it for the Russians uh, that night. And 
over here in the UK where there's actually an athlete ban for F1 and tennis players from Russia. I have a feeling they're not going to be so lenient uh, uh, towards the Russians here either unless they make it decisive. So unless Timur makes this super decisive, I don't think he's going to I don't think he's going to win this fight. Give me uh Jack Tank Shore to edge out the decision. I'm going to take here. what you said about decisive and I'm going to put a pin in that for Volkov later. But continue. Yes, sir. Uh, now, next up in the light heavyweight division, shit, we're already we're already getting down to the nitty gritty, my man. <laughs> we got Nikita Krylov from the Ukraine. He's twenty seven and eight, taking on Paul Bearjew Craig, who's fifteen and four from Scotland. And currently, they got Nikita Krylov minus one ninety. The comeback on Paul Craig is plus one sixty five. Look, I'm gonna be a hundred a hundred percent transparent with you, like I always am. I'm not the best at calling Paul Craig fights. And, and the reason why is because it's almost like the process I felt like wasn't quite there in the early going. I mean, you fuck around with this guy, you get cocky with him on the mat. I mean, he's going to break something. He's going to take his limb, uh, your limb home with him. And he's going to, you know, put it in his trophy case. And uh, <laughs> I, I mean, we're talking about a guy that submitted Jamal Hill. We're talking about a guy that submitted Magomed and leave. We know about that. One of them was a comeback, the one against Magomed and leave mm-hmm. and against Jamal. Listen, uh, you really do have to put some context behind the Jamal uh, victory. I mean, Jamal was so cocky going into that fight. He gets on top of Craig. He feels like, you know what? I'm going to beat this guy at his own game. Big mistake, but gone. Yeah. (laughs) You hear the kind of accountability a guy like Jamal Hill took after that. You hear that you hear now, you know, he's, he's not saying, Oh, I want, I want that rematch. No, he's giving Craig his credit like that. I, I love Jamal Hill. Everybody that watches the show knows that. I, he's my top prospect. If y'all like that boring-ass Ankaliev guy that just got dropped by no-legged uh, Tiago Santos as your top prospect, good for you. It's okay. We're allowed to disagree. This is a free country. But um, as far as this matchup is concerned, listen, Nikita Krylov, he's got a nice Kyokushin karate background. Um, he can really flow the hands to the kicks excellently. He's got a good takedown game, too. He's got actually more submission wins than he does knockout wins. It's just from time to time he will make a bonehead mistake on the mat. And my only issue with that, Bane, is that he can be winning this entire fight. And, I mean, like I said, in that Jan Blahovich fight, he goes for the guillotine, and Jan Blahovich passes, and Nikita hasn't let go of the guillotine yet. And this is something that got him caught in that first OSP fight with the Von Fluchok. Um so it's like he'll make these little bonehead mistakes. If look, if this goes the distance, I think Nikita wins. If there's a knockout, I think Nikita wins. It's just can I trust Nikita at a price like minus 190 to to not fuck up here? And uh I'm not entirely sure I can. So at plus 165, I'd be willing to roll the dice here on Paul Craig and see if he can find another opportunistic submission along the way. You, you you brought out some of the points I was going to make as well. You're talking about a guy, Nikita Krylov, who if you look him up in the dictionary, it's inconsistent. That's the word that pops up for Krylov. He shows sometimes that he's got that fight IQ and that ability. Other times he doesn't. This is a guy who has five career submission losses. Going up against Bear Jew, who is known to submit people in those weird flash instances. Like he showed against Magomed. He only needs a second to get it done. Same thing with Jamal. He slaps it on as quick as he can. And the fact that... Uh, Craig is is at plus 165. I'd have this a bit tighter, in my opinion, because I feel like this does favor, um, you know, Craig decently. Again, right there, if this goes to decision, I don't know how decisive this is going to be from Krylov, right? This could be a bit of a back and forth, and the judging, in my mind, is always going to favor the person that this is in their backyard. And 
I don't know, Krylov alternating wins in his last couple, I believe, just not somebody that I would would really trust at this point. And Paul Craig, with that impressive snapping of the arm of Jamal Hill, leads me to believe he can get it done again. Krylov's historical um, decision-making is is influencing that decision as well. And so Craig by sub at uh, plus 450. Are you fucking me right now? Plus 450? <laughs> that's all. That's Craig's best value. And that line isn't smaller. I'm laying as much as I can on that one. I don't know if I'm going to pick round prop, but plus 450 for Craig to take home a guy who's had five sub losses. Easy money for me. That's an easy decision. The, the only thing, the only, you know, slight bone I have to pick with, not, not a major one, is, you know, I, I agree with mostly everything you said. And, I mean, it's factual that he's been alternating wins and losses. Mm-hmm. But the context here is Jan Blahovic champion. Glover Teixeira champion, Magomed Ankalaev, or I'm being corrected, Ankalaev, but I I thought it was Ankalaev from the jump, but they were saying on the broadcast it's Ankalaev, so I wasn't going to correct you. <laughs> Either way, we're talking about the same guy. I mean, that's some stiff competition. So let, let's give him a break. He, he did go to a split decision with the current champ, uh, Glover Teixeira. He's definitely been making improvements. It's just that he can be dominating this whole fight. One fuck up on the mat with Bearju, and that's all it takes. So I do think Nikita Krilov is going to be winning the minutes of this fight. I do think he's got knockout potential. I do think he's got decision potential. It's just that one mistake is all it's going to take. And at a price like that, with a guy who you know I respect so much, I've seen him fight twice in Atlanta against Ed Herman and against Ovin St. Peru, won both of those fights in the second round. Um, I just don't know if I can trust him to not fuck up one time because one time is all it takes against a guy like Paul Craig. So, uh, <laughs> hey, And shout out to my boy Rod Torque. He said Dan and Bane are putting in the work. Show some love. Smash the like. Hey, smash that motherfucking like button right here. Um, and shout out to my boy Bane stepping up to guest co-host today. You know what I'm saying? Um, so for those that didn't know, last week, uh, you know, my co-host Shaq, you know, he's taking a break from the show. So, you know, my first choice to get a guest co-host was the man, the band. I've been thoroughly entertained by everything you put on. Positive energy, fucking hilarious. I like this guy. He's not trying to be anybody but himself. And those are the kind of things I respect. So much love, brother. I'm happy to have you on here. And let's get down to this next fight. Because next up mm-hmm. in the heavyweight division, we got a matchup between Shamil Abdurakhimov. He's 20 and 6. It's Russia versus Russia taking on Sergei Pavlovich, who is 14 and 1. And currently, they got Sergey Pavlovich minus three hundred. The comeback on Shamil Abdurakhimov is plus two fifty. So, one thing I want to know is where the fuck is Sergey Pavlovich? <laughs> no, for real, I'm wondering the same exact thing. And it is more interesting with the Russia versus Russia because we're talking about competing gyms within that country as well. I mean, there is a a, a lot of these two are staying on opposing sides of that one flag. Um, the biggest thing for me, though is Abdurakhimov's strength of schedule. He's been beaten by Chris Dawkins, certainly. He's been beaten by Curtis Blades. But before that, strung together three over Marcin, Andrei Arlovsky, and Chase Sherman. So sort of what we were talking about with Krylov, the people that are beating him are going on to bigger and better things. Let's talk about Pavlov's wins. Maurice Green, Marcelo Gom. Yes, they were quite impressive stoppages, certainly, both KOs uh, inside the first five minutes. But you're talking about guys that are no longer within the UFC, I, I think. Um, <laughs> and so no, you're like right. You're right. The, the layoff and then you're putting him up against a guy like Shamil, who doesn't lose unless it's against people that aren't of the elite caliber. Um, 
I don't know. And and the, the durability questions that people might have about Shamil, there might be pounded that Pavlovich by KO line. Guess what, man? He's getting to the second round with Dawkins, and he's getting to the second round with Blades. And so we're talking about a gas tank and a guy who hasn't gone past the first round since 2017 against a person like Shamil, who he's shown to be durable against guys that aren't of that same caliber, cut from the same cloth as those have risen above in that division. And so I feel like this is a very, very interesting line, a decent amount of value on Shamil. But we could also see a situation where he just gets blasted and dies. I mean, that's, that's, that's whenever you have a guy like Sergey coming back and he's had those really impressive performances right before um, it's, it's just a toss up. I don't know what version we're going to see, uh, but I am confident that Shamil is going to have more success than people anticipate. Listen, Shamil is a respectable guy. And, you know, obviously though, the wins you mentioned, how about the loss to black beast? He won the first three rounds and it was a five round fight. Got stopped in the fourth. Had that been a three-round fight, that's a 30-27 for Shamil. So he's a very respectable fighter. The thing here is that my boy is 40 years old. And look, <laughs> in heavyweight terms, that's actually not a big deal because we've seen a lot of heavyweights gain, you know, a second life uh, in their 40s. I mean... What did uh, Couture get the belt? Was that 40 that was like or, fucking 45 or some shit. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's certainly not something that's out of the question at 265. Um, but you do bring up a great point. The body does not age well, especially when you're a fighter who's been fighting as long as a Burakamov. So I, it's just a toss up. The body doesn't that. And my boy's been taking some brutal ass whoopings yeah. the last two. I, yeah, I get Curtis is a top five guy and I get that Chris is a guy on the rise too. You're not going to get a debate from me there, but how did those fights go down? They were hellacious ass whoopings. The kind of ones that demoralize you, the kind of ones that you don't often come back the same from take it a step further. Pavlovich. He's got a, uh, he's got an eight inch reach advantage. He's got an 11 year age advantage my only thing is the inactivity like wh what the fuck's this guy been up to it like is there i, I don't want to throw out speculation um is there an injury has he been dealing with some usada stuff behind the scenes like i just don't know what the deal is like but if i know that sergey's coming out here motivated and ready to fight i do think he's gonna get another knockout over the current form of uh abdul rahimov look i get that Sergey, you know, lost the. I mean, Sergey beat two guys that aren't on the roster anymore. But look, man, you know the deal here. Listen, every champion was once a contender, every contender was once a prospect. So at some point, they need to cross that bridge. I mean, same shit with Doc is what he beat up a couple of scrubs and now he's beating up real dudes. So, like, yeah. at some point, they got to rise to the occasion. And I do think that Sergey, I mean, as long as he is not coming out some life-changing injury because we just don't know. If someone in the comments knows what Sergey's been up to these last <laughs> however long he's been out, let us know right now. But he's only 29 years old. And for heavyweight, that is young as fuck, man. Yeah. Uh, so if he shows up, anything like I've seen him these last two, and if Shamil, I just don't see Shamil having some career resurgence at 40. Again, that might be hypocritical because I did say that sometimes these heavyweights get nine lives and they, you know, like you saw where Doom go on this big run when he started to age and all these other guys. I can mention a bunch of them. I just based off what I saw those last two from Shamil, I can't back him here against a young, hungry guy. So for that reason, give me Sergey Pavlovich to come out here and knock out Shamil Abdurakimov.
inside the distance feels like the bet. We'll say last thing for me on it is his lone blemish on that record to the demolition man uh, came in 2018. That was right when Alistair started that fantastic stretch of wins, which in my mind, the Jarzina Rosen strike one that should have occurred. I think that could have gone on. It was 10 seconds left. That would have been a five fight win streak for Alistair at that point in his career, starting off with Sergei Pavlovich. So he got beat by one of the best Alistairs we've seen. That's his lone loss. I have to agree. Inside the distance feels like some good prop money there. Now, next up in the featherweight division, we got a matchup between Mike Grundy, or as we like to say in the UK, Bane, Grundy is 12 and 3, <laughs> taking on Makwan Amirkani, who is 16 and 7. And currently, they got Mike Grundy minus 185. The comeback on Makwan Amirkani is plus 160. I'm going to take this one first. Look, I know the dynamic wrestler versus wrestler. You got the Commonwealth's champ, uh, Mike Grundy, taking on Makwan. And you know, there might be some fun scrambles here and there, but Maquan, in my opinion, is trending downwards in a way where I think he's completely seen better days. I think his game hasn't evolved at all, and I think he's a one-trick pony that's been figured out straight up. I think that people know exactly what he wants to do, and there's not going to be any, you know, any curveballs, any joker cards to pull out of his back pocket. I think we know what he wants to do. And coming out here and implementing that specific game plan against Mike Grundy just doesn't really seem like something that's going to happen. Yeah, maybe one takedown. But let's say he does get that one takedown. This guy has got one round of gas in him. And he's even talked about it, like long social media posts about how just his body hasn't been right. Like, like we don't know like some liver issue or something i ain't a doctor so don't fucking quote me go back to his <laughs> go back to his instagram read his post he talked all about it and it keeps happening over and over and as a result the confidence is diminishing significantly because you remember when makwan amirkani first came into the ufc i mean you remember the eight second flying knee against andy ogle you remember the war he had with jason knight even he gave arnold allen a good fight back in the day too uh Shout out to Arnold Allen cashing that plus 110 for me at the O2 arena where this fight is taking place. <laughs> so, I mean, look, Maquan had a good run. It's just that I think that these last few have been a clear sign of a decline, and I don't see the same guy anymore. He already had the gassing issue, but now there's a confidence issue. He's not the same Mr. Finland. You see his topology profile. My boy's got like three hot chicks in the in the in the photo with him, and you know, he's the king of Finland and this and that. But now you you take the one round of cardio and now you mix it in with he's coming off a devastating, vicious, hellacious, brutal knockout where yeah. we're talking about the kind of knockout uh, Bane where so he gets knocked out. They go to commercial break and then it's time for Bruce Buffer or Joe Martinez to announce to announce the winner. And, you know. Maquan's still out cold like they had to bring out the smelling salts. They had to bring out the stretcher and. I just don't see him coming back the same from that. Maybe if he took a full year off and really, you know, made some big changes, sure. But here, this seems like a spot to get Mike Grundy, Mike Grundy back on track. And, man, I think that Grundy's going to come out here. Look, there might be some competitive uh, grappling exchanges early, but what I think the difference is is that Grundy can keep pushing the pace down the stretch. I mean, you see his fight with Evloev, man. That dar choke he had on Evloev, man, and he's tapping out. 
most of the guys in the division with that. I mean, the littlest of space that Evloya created to get out of that, I mean, was just phenomenal. The kind of heart a guy like Evloya has. I think he puts Makwan in there. You saw Edson Barboza going for Anaconda and Darstroke attempts on Makwan Amirkani. Now, look, all due respect to the legend Edson Barboza, but what's Edson known for? His amazing kicking game. He ain't known for his submission game. Mike Grundy is a very solid grappler. He gets him there. He might be the first man in UFC history to submit Makwan, but don't sleep on uh, my boy Grundy's power either. I think he can crack, and he's one of those guys that you hit him with your hardest shot. He's just got that blockhead. It's like you're going to break your hand punching him as hard as you can. So uh, I get you know the first couple of minutes might be a little competitive, but I think Grundy pulls away down the stretch, and I think he comes out here. I'm saying knockout or decision by Mike Grundy here. I completely agree. In terms of durability, this one is not even a question. Grundy's got that built-in baseball helmet. Makwan is – I I – think still asleep from that KO loss five months ago. Um, and it's just really interesting when you look at the lines for this one. Mike Grundy by KO, TKO, I understand. 8%, one out of 12 of his pro wins have come by KO, TKO stoppage. But I swear, if you blow on Makwan Amir Khani, I think he might might go down. And plus 750 for Grundy to get it by that method, fantastic. Plus 450 on sub. Look, this cat's got 8 out of 12 wins by submission. So if I were to maybe bet on some shape of stoppage it would likely be a tap out um and that's just a big line uh i get that mike runny's last one maybe wasn't the best i think he went 18 or, or, or banata uh what defended 18 of 21 takedown attempts like it was not the best performance uh certainly but but Grundy, context not not to cut you off context yeah i know vanata is known for his uh flashy striking Venata's a d1 wrestler let's not forget that exactly you know so it's I think all signs are pointing towards a Mike Grundy showcase. And um, I mean, I'm certainly going to sprinkle on that plus 750. I think that that big right hand at Grundy is going to land. And I just don't see Mach 1 um, being able to withstand it. It's it's a shame to see Mach 1 go down this track the last several years. He, like you mentioned, had so much confidence, so much swagger, and was everything that you needed to really rise in this sport and scene. But hasn't found the results and and uh, in just some tragic ways. So this one is pretty cut and dry, grundy all day long. I'll let you all decide by which method. Uh, yeah, that's the tough part for me. You know, I'm not much of a prop guy. I'm more of a money line guy. I mean, I, I think it's tough enough. I to like pick- I like losing money. So um, going for the props <laughs> is <laughs> Listen, my DraftKings account is zero dollars right now because I've just got so many little stupid bets on like Patty by KO submission, Craig by sub, this person by that. I like to just you know not have any money to play with. I mean, just just think about it like this. So when I bet on Francis Ngannou at plus one thirty against Cyril Gan, everybody's like. Are you fucking stupid? Why don't you just bet him by KO at a better number instead? I'm like, dude, like, just let let me do me. I'm getting underdog odds on the guy I'm picking to win the fight. Now, could you imagine how fucking pissed I would have been if I had bet Francis by KO instead of Francis straight in that fight? Like, I would have been so pissed off that I I don't even I, I don't even know what to say. So look, but. I hope you hit these props. I hope you fucking get rich. I hope you become a billionaire. I hope you take it all. I hope you change the game. But for me, money line is where it's at. The the Grundy line has maybe kind of gotten a little bit out there. Uh, shout out to everyone that hopped in early. Much respect because I was wanting to hop in at minus 135. You know, I wake up the next day. It's like minus 170. So, you know, I might have missed the boat. And guys, it's, it's okay. Do not force bets. Like if the, if the value ain't there anymore, the value ain't there anymore. But 
I mean, based on how Mockwell's been looking, I mean, because like you take the Kamuela Kirk uh, fight into consideration, and, you know, all respect to Kamuela uh, Kirk, but you saw how Damon Jackson just ran through him. You saw how Damon Jackson didn't show him an ounce of respect. Like I, I was thinking going into that, hey, Jackson and Kirk, like I don't know who's going to win, but it's going to be this back and forth scramble fest. And Jackson just dominated him pillar to post. And, you know, not trying to do no MMA math, but. A guy Makwan that prides himself on his grappling. I mean, he was he was the one struggling. He was the one, you know, having to fight off the submission attempts. Um, he was the one that, you know, one judge scored 30-27 for uh Kirk in that fight. So I just see a clear decline mixing in with that vicious KO, which I'm not convinced he's taking the proper amount of time off. If you check out my interview uh, I had with uh Gerald Mershart the other day, he talked about you know how when he took his back-to-back KO losses against Heinish and Hamza, look, he wasn't saying that. Oh, I would have beat Hamza regardless. But what he was saying was that had he taken more than just a couple months off after the Heinish fight, maybe he wouldn't have just gone down to the fucking first punch that landed. Like you need time to let your brain recover from something like that. And I don't believe that Maquan's taking the proper amount of time off. So don't write off a Grundy KO, but Grundy for the dub is my pick. Now it's time to it's time to break down this main card because first up in the lightweight division, we got a matchup between Jai Herbert. He's 11 and three, taking on Ilya Taporia, who is 11 and 0. And currently, they got Ilya Taporia minus 500. The comeback on Jai Herbert is plus 375. So listen, this is interesting because I, I want be, before I say what I'm about to say, I need everybody to understand this. I bet on Taporia at dog odds against Yusuf Zalal in his debut. I bet on Taporia at minus 200 against Damon Jackson um, in his in his sophomore appearance. I passed on the Ryan Hall fight, but I picked him to win there too. He did great. But here against Jai Herbert is interesting because firstly, it's up at 155 pounds. Taporia is a featherweight. He's a big featherweight. Um, it, it's just one of those things where... I still got questions about Taporia. You know, everyone's jumping the gun saying this kid's a future world champion, future top five. Look, I'm not saying he won't be. I'm not saying he will be. I just need to see a little bit more before I'm ready to make those claims. All his wins are first round finishes minus the Zalal fight. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's not his fault that these dudes couldn't go past the first round with him. Like, props to Taporia. It's just as the level of competition increases, that's where I'm wondering if he's still able to put up those results. And you watch that as a law fight. Yeah, guys, I know it was on short notice. You don't have to tell me that. And I bet on Taporia at dog odds, but that was the one fight that got past the first round. And my boy Taporia was out there huffing and puffing against the law. Who's a former 35 er Jai Herber is a big ass 55 er Now the thing with Jai Herber, long rangy striker. And if this becomes a distance Striking match, that's where Jai Herbert can win. But Taporia is going to need to close the distance. And one thing about Jai Herbert, we'll talk about the ground game, but his chin isn't the best. Um, and look, no shame in getting knocked out by Trinaldo. Trinaldo, fucking stud. But what about Rice McKee knocking this guy out a, a few years ago? Like that, that, that's a massive red flag. So I do think Taporia lands one of those bombs on the chin. You could be out here dropping Jai Herbert. It's just on the mat is where the big advantage is for Ilya Taporia, you know. I know Jai Herbert's in the gym working constantly, trying to improve. I just haven't seen, um, you know, that same level as his stand-up on the mat, man. And I think that Taporia can absolutely dominate on the ground. It's just about what's Taporia going to look like here, man? Is, is he going to try to have, you know, he got a couple of knockouts. Does he think that he's a, you know, 
Does he think he's a K1 striker now? Is he going to try to have a distant <laughs> striking match with Jai Herbert? You know how it goes, man. These, these guys get 150K bonus. All of a sudden, they think they're the K1 hands. strikers. So, they love um, those hands. Jai Herbert's live for a knockout, but that's it. So um, give me Ilya Tapuria to win this fight. But I think we need to kind of pump the brakes on this future top five talk, this future champ talk. Let's wait and see how he performs in subsequent fights, in fights where he gets pushed, in fights where these guys aren't broken before the fights start, kind of like we were talking about with Mokayev. Every single guy that fought Mokayev was broken before the fight even started. Um, and with Tapuria, I mean, these guys are terrified of him. So... I want to see Taporia truly get pushed. The only time he did get pushed, shit got sketchy against a 35er in, in, in uh, I almost said Bilal, in, in Zalal. So, um, yeah, give me Taporia to win this fight. But, you know, Jai Herbert can crack. Jai, Jai Herbert's no slack. Jai Herbert's fought tougher competition. To come into the UFC, fight Trinaldo, your first fight. Fight Moicano, your second fight. I know Kama Worthy's got no chin, but he treated him like he has no chin. So now... I think this is a good fight to find out where both guys are at. And if Taporia dominates like his line indicates he should, then uh, I can't wait to see him take that next up in competition. And full disclosure, I was going to bet those dog odds on Mosar Evloyev against Taporia. What do you think about this fight? It is an interesting one. There are several different lenses that you could look through it. And and uh, one of the big ones that I'm looking at to play devil's advocate for just a split second, because again, I think we're all behind Ilya Tapori. I think we believe in his, his uh, skills to get it done here. I agree. I want to see more from him before I start making claims at contender status and things like that. Um, but look, Herbert, Nine out of 11 wins coming by way of KO, TKO. He's got that huge right hand um, and has, has proven it. But it's just against a guy like Ilya. That's a puncher's chance that we're talking about. He's gotten it done on several occasions, sure. But I just don't see it occurring. My big issue is he had a similar reach advantage over Francisco Trinaldo. And then he was fucking out cold on the feet falling backwards, right? And so that was, that was not a great moment. But when you look earlier in that fight as well, what the tape tells you is that Trinaldo gets him up against the cage, is working for a guillotine, body locking, controlling him. It's just Herbert has no answer for anybody's uh, wrestling or, 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 or ground game or even in those clinch type positions. It seems like he's a fish out of water. And Toporia excels in those similar types of spots so while this might be i don't know if this is the tallest uh, opponent that Ilya's faced i don't know if it's got the most reach disadvantage he's had to encounter um i'd have to look that up but i, I certainly believe that this is going to be something inside the distance but to shed some light on those props with dry herbert plus 700 by kotko his best bet is by kotko so I mean, I'll put a couple down. Why not? Again, I'm going to lose. Uh, but in the event that uh, I win, that's his best value. That's the equity there. And Jai Herbert is that he's going to get it done by stoppage. Similarly, on the other side of the coin, Ilya Taporia has 10 finishes out of his 11 wins. Seven of those coming by way of submission. So you want to plus 100 by sub. Certainly there for, for a guy like Herbert who doesn't have a ground game. Very susceptible to that. Um but that is a really good point that you bring up. Has Ilya kind of fallen in love with those hands? We saw him really dominate Damon Jackson on the feet and just go balls to the wall with it, similar with Ryan Hall. I mean, that ground and pound was vicious. So I don't know if we're seeing this evolution in Ilya. He's 25. That's a very malleable kind of age in this scene. But either way, you cut this cake. It's coming up, Ilya Taporia. Yes, sir. So everybody do us a huge favor. Smash that like button. Hit that subscribe button. Now, my friend, Ben, let's get down to this flyweight matchup between Molly McCann, who was 11 oh and four, taking on Luana Dread Carolina, who is eight and two. And currently, 
They got Molly McCann minus 140. The comeback on Luana Carolina is plus 120. Now, this is one of those fights where I think the location has a big effect on how this fight takes place. This fight's in Brazil. I think it's a split decision for Luana Carolina. This fight's in uh, the O2 Arena in London, England, where it is on Saturday night. And I think that the close decision is going to Molly McCann. Look, what I, there's, there's things I like about both these ladies. Molly McCann, she's always kind of reminded me of like a female Frankie Edgar in the sense that she's got that kind of uh, volume boxing style and she can mix in those opportunistic uh, takedowns and she's very tough, hard-nosed. Um, it's going to be hard to get her out of that. I mean, you got to put her to sleep. Like the one time she got finished in the UFC, she wasn't tapping, man. She went straight to sleep. So she is a very tough chick, man. I, I, I respect Molly a lot. And with Luana Carolina, she brings obviously that Muay Thai background, but she brings some physical attributes to the table here, man. She's going to have a seven-inch reach advantage in this spot. And obviously, like I said, that Muay Thai background. So, I mean, look, if if Molly wants to stay on the outside, like back to the Taporia fight where, you know, I think Jay Herbert also has like like an eight inch reach advantage or some shit like that. If these guys want to stand on the outside and go strike for strike, then that's where, you know, Jai Herbert or Luana Carolina can have success. But I don't foresee Molly McCann getting into that kind of fight. I think Molly McCann is going to make it a dirty fight. I think Molly McCann is going to get right in her face get that dirty boxing going, mixing those opportunistic takedowns. And to Luana's credit, her takedown defense has gotten a lot better as evidence in that last one against Loopy. But I just think that McCann, I think that this is a spot where 20K UK fans are going to be cheering for every single thing Molly does. Molly can throw a punch at the air. And, she, and listen, she's not yeah. an air striker like Caitlin Chukagian. And Macy and, Barber, yeah, and what Marina Moroz used to be. Marina Moroz up at 125 is a fucking killer, but Marina Moroz at strawweight was like an airstriker that would run around making tennis sounds. But you know, so what? But my point here if Molly McCann throws some punches at the air, the crowd's still gonna go fucking crazy. If Molly McCann takes her down one time, the crowd's gonna go nuts anytime Luana, uh, Luana, excuse me, lands anything in this in this fight dead silence and that kind of shit has an impact on the judges and also again do you want the beer thrown at you or not so close fight favors uh molly mccann um but i think that molly mccann might turn up on uh, luana carolina may maybe even get 130 27 in there too so give me molly mccann to come out here and win this decision against someone who i respect and someone who i think has been making a lot of improvements in luana carolina but i do think the location plays a big part in a fight like this one that i do see being competitive and close give me molly mccann to win this decision it's the largest factor for me is where this fight's taking place. Geographically, you put this in a neutral location. I feel like Luana can get a really decisive decision. But we're talking about a person in Molly McCann who you simply cannot outheart. You can't outdetermine. You can't outwill somebody like that. And as you mentioned, the whole arena rallying behind her. She'll push through whatever reach disadvantage. She'll shoot for those legs and hips and, and drag someone to the ground just on that sheer will alone, the heart. Um, and that's what she's displayed in all of her UFC performances when she's had that back again. Jian Kim, that's Brunson versus Till is what that main was. And so it's a kind of British heavy cards where she really comes out and displays the best of Molly McCann. And again, to reiterate, I do believe that stylistically she's facing some challenges here. Um, but... 
I think that with that arena, the O2, we're going to see the meatball roll uh, up to a decision victory. And I think it, like you said, could be dominant. I'd lean more towards a 29-20. I think she's going to start really strong. And then Carolina might have more success later uh, as that adrenaline fades for Molly. But, I mean, I'm just happy to see her back. She's a fan fade for a reason. Now, next up in the welterweight division, we got the return of Gunnar Nelson. I haven't heard that name in a long ass time, my man. He's 17 and five, taking on Japan's Takashi Sato, who is 16 and four. And currently, they got Gunnar Nelson, also minus 450. The comeback on Takashi Sato's plus 360. The only way I think he's minus 450 is if he comes out here and chokes this dude out, which in his two UFC losses, he has been choked out. Now, granted, I personally think Bilal Muhammad, you know, top five in the world. That's not an opinion, that's a fact. And um, the other guy that choked him out, uh, Miguel Baeza, I know he's falling on some tough times, but that's a hot prospect in, in the division as well. Those guys are studs. Listen, my issue, I've always had an issue with Gunny Nelson, but let's give him some credit first before I talk about my issues with him. The credit I want to give him is he's legit, like, finished some real dudes, man. I mean, I, now, it was like half a decade ago. It was like I don't I don't even know if, if like it's not so. recent now. I agree. It's definitely not recent, but those wins still stand. They uh kind of the test of time. Joe Bond, that was a fantastic one. Tumanov. I mean, I completely agree. Even if these were a while ago, they still fucking count. So no, no, oh, of course they count. So finished Omari Akhmedov in 2014. Finished Zach Cummings in 2014. Brandon Thatch at the time had a lot of hype, and I actually bet on uh, Gunny in that fight. Props to him. Albert Tumenov. Man, now this one I was wrong on. I, th I thought Albert was going to whoop his ass. Now, I also want to say it appeared in that fight that Gunnar Nelson was uh, eating. Uh, well, he was definitely taking his Flintstone vitamins and eating his fruits and vegetables. <laughs> if you look at his physique in that fight compared to any other fight he's had, I'm not throwing out any accusations. Maybe his strength and conditioning program was the best it's ever been, but it's only been that fight that I've ever seen a physique like that on him. And God damn, did he do his thing? Beat Alan Juban in 2017, beat Alex Cowboy. And he overcame adversity in the Alex Cowboy fight because Alex Cowboy was absolutely teeing off and pounding on him. And he comes back to land that disgusting cut and, and, cho and choke him out. So props to him. But... I'm just not sure where his head's at. I'm not sure where his motivation's at. And also, if he cannot get this takedown, like the volume from Gunnar Nelson is absolutely atrocious to a point. Like if you want, if you want to get down to the to the numbers, my man, the most strikes he's ever landed in a fight was his main event with Rick Story. He landed 53 strikes in a five round fight. Like, do you understand how bad that is? Like, that is the, ten the, strikes around. Like, Jesus. that is like horrific numbers. And if Takashi can keep the standing, I mean, the thing about Takashi, he's got that nice wide stance. I'm not sure if it's a karate background or a or a taekwondo background, but bottom line, he's got one of those traditional martial arts backgrounds. This guy's a sniper with that left hand. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he came out here and knocked out Gunny Nelson. My only issue is that like one back take. And the fight will be over shortly after. So that's that's what I'm worried about. Look, I'm not going to lay no price like minus 500 on Gunnar Nelson with all the questions I have about him. I don't even know if he's into this shit no more. Then yeah. on the other side, you know, the last two guys he fought to are both top five in the welterweight division. They went to decision. It's just stylistically speaking, there's like literally zero volume on the feet for Nelson. 
Takashi's got him covered on the feet. It's just, is Takashi going to be so worried about the takedown that he's not going to throw? And as a result, maybe he gets cracked with something. So that's what I'm worried about. I mean, look, the pick is Nelson, but I think it's a dog or pass situation. Um, just look, Takashi, let's keep this standing. Let's snipe this guy. Let's not get taken down. And you can win this fight. But most likely, if Gunny is anything like Gunny used to be, probably finds an opportunistic submission along the way. So give me Gunny to submit him, but uh, I ain't not. You're not going to catch me deadline no, laying no minus 500 on Gunner at this point in his career. What's interesting to me is that this is, I believe, a short notice opportunity for Takashi, correct? It was uh, Claudio correct. Silva that was uh, initially slated to be on the other, side of, uh, other end of this one, Sato stepping in. And three out of his four losses overall are by sub, two within the UFC, one outside of it. And so if you're telling me the guy who's lost 75% of the time by submission is uh, going to have good odds against a person who has 12 out of their 17 wins by submission, I don't know. It's just... Uh, I have to completely agree. Gooney by sub. Um, I don't know what round, of course, but I I will say in the event that maybe Gunner doesn't get it to the ground as effectively as we're anticipating, in the event that the striking does leave a lot to be desired and Takashi and him go the full 15, think about that Leon Edwards fight. Guess where that was? The 0-2. And that was a dominant anywhere else in the world. That's a unanimous decision. That was a split. That was a very dominant performance by Edwards. And it still was a split in those judges. They fucking want to give this to the British fighters. And I do not see Takashi Sato, if this extends through the full 15, being able to put on as much of a dominant performance that Leanne Edwards did to get a split. So if this goes to the scorecards, there is no doubt in my mind, I would lay my mother's life on it. Uh, that it's going to be a decision win for Gunner. And if my mom dies Saturday, then I am so sorry. <laughs> but it's just, I, I think that the strength of schedule right in those last two, like you mentioned, top five, Gilbert Burns fighting the biggest um, prospect in the scene in Shemaev, uh, and and is not being completely outgunned. I think that there's a lot of tools that he has against a person like that. So I just don't see what Takashi short notice here, Sato, can bring to the table. And you know, I, for me, I look at that gunner by sub minus 120. It is insane to me when a prop is like the minus, right? I, I'm a bit inexperienced when it comes to the betting realm. Of course, college students don't have a big bankroll. Um, but I, what I've seen is that if you, by any method, way, shape, or form, if that's a minus, that is fucking bananas. <laughs> so I just, I think that this one similarly cut and dry. And uh, to reiterate what we were talking about with Krylov and Paul Craig, Sato's got to be perfect for the full 15. Gunner only needs that one instance, that one transition, that one mistake to capitalize. And I believe that uh, he can get it done. Now, featured bout in the lightweight division. We got Patty Pimblett. He's 17 and three, taking on Rodrigo Cazula Vargas, who is 12 and four. And currently, they got. Patty Pimblett minus 485. The comeback on Rodrigo Vargas is plus 385. So I took Patty Pimblett a few weeks back when he was minus 320. I parlayed him with Kevin Holland, who, you know, mm -hmm. uh, knocked out uh, Alex Cowboy. So basically, this is one of those spots where, you know, I know people like to say Patty's overrated and this and that. They, and then they like to bring up fucking losses he had when he was like 19 or 22 or some <laughs> shit. A completely irrelevant fight. Um, yeah. Listen, man. There might be a, there's going to be a time to fade him, but this is not the time. Um, Rodrigo Vargas is he's too slow, he's too hittable, he can be taken down. Um, and you look at the wins he's had in the UFC, the Zhu Rong fight. Hey, on paper, I know that that's like a nice win, but firstly, I'm not even fully sold that he won that fight, and secondly, 
uh, Zhu Rong. The thing with a lot of these fighters from from Asia is that they have to take that long ass flight over to the states, and mm -hmm. that jet lag kills you. I mean, if you go back, everybody subscribe to this channel, hit the like button, and if you go on my channel and you check out my interview with Daun Jung, who's one of the top prospects um, in the light heavyweight division from Korea. Um, so I asked him, like, dude, like, uh, how much time would you need, you know, to to get acclimated, uh, ideally, for the flight? Listen to this shit, man. He says he needs a full fucking month to get acclimated from the jet lag, and they only give him 10 days. So yeah. we haven't even seen this kid, Daoun Jung, at 100% because he's coming in 10 days before the fight. He said if you could get a full month, then you'd see the 100% version. So we got a 19 or 20-year-old Zhu Rong coming in, making the flight for the first time, completely jet-lagged. And I'm still not convinced that Rodrigo <laughs> Vargas won that fight. The Brock Weaver fight... Look, I know it says it's a loss, but he whooped Brock Weaver's ass. But Brock Weaver no no longer in the company. And uh, now I, I think it's time to face the music. I think that Patty Pimblett is going to come out here and teach this kid a lesson. And I think he's going to whoop his ass on the feet. I mean, look, yeah, does Patty fight with his chin in the air? Are there some holes? Yes, but Vargas is not the guy that's going to capitalize. Vargas is a sacrificial lamb in this fight. He's being brought in to lose, and he's going to be treated accordingly. So give me Patty Pimblett to come out here finish rodrigo vargas and cash my parlay with kevin holland for plus two units i'm starting on the vargas side i will say win lose or dry i have to thank him sincerely for illegally kneeing brock weaver in the face <laughs> um i mean if we're, if we're talking one career defining moment uh, that i can just put on a shelf and go thank you that's the one but I have to echo all of your thoughts he brings nothing to the table against patty pimblett i think that this is a a matchmaking that we've seen the ufc go through um we've seen it with kind of o'malley's rise granted i think that he's faced somewhat stiffer competition but with pimblett they're not going to give him a guy that can beat him. I mean, with all of the fucking hype, someone mentioned the Barstool sponsorship. This kid is the next level for the UFC. If we're talking post-McGregor type era, granted McGregor's still a massive draw. Patty Pilmer's somebody that they want to keep going. And I don't think Rodrigo Vargas is equipped to exploit the flaws that Pimblett has. Do I think that Patty's evolved a ton in the last several years since that Julian Arosa fight? I don't necessarily think so, but... Rodrigo Vargas isn't the fucking guy to do it. I'll tell you what. Um, and so that's where the prop guy in me does get a bit interested. If you look at him simply by KO, TKO, plus 140. The reason I think that there's value on that side of things is because while Patty has great jujitsu, I want it to be known. He's got fantastic wrestling and, and on the ground, he's an animal. But he is a person that embodies the showmanship of this game. Listen, gang, we're in a category called sports entertainment, not strictly sports. And so there's people that that kind of stick in the lane of martial arts and um, they don't really uh, like a Magomed Ankalaev. <laughs> uh, they don't take advantage of these big moments. Patty Pimblett is a guy that's going to take advantage. I think he's going to come out of here, headhunt a bit, probably a bit too much, be aggressive and stop this guy within the first five. Because guess what the fuck sells? Massive highlight real KOs. And guess what Patty knows he wants? More starmanship, more stardom, more exposure. Because that's what brings in those brand deals that he's already achieved. And I think a guy like Patty's going to live through this one and succeed, but he'll die by that in the future. It's just not going to be by Rodrigo Vargas. 
Yeah, I mean the the only you know slight uh, disagreement is about him evolving. Like I'm not I'm not saying he evolved into a fucking future. His camp. striking looked better. His striking has looked great, especially in that Benjamini one. But uh, overall, yeah. But like you got to take into consideration the backstories. Apparently, like the dude was like you know I mean he was like he was a fucking kid in those fights. I mean he apparently cut like 19 pounds the days before the fights. And, you know he didn't, he didn't have his shit together. Whereas now. I think he's got in order. And Rick the Ruler made up an interesting point. He said Ron Zhu fought like a complete idiot that fight was showboating for uh, the first and uh, second rounds, didn't even start fighting until the third and almost finished Vargas. And, and that's my point, man, because it's like that wasn't even about what Vargas did right. That was about what Zhu Rong did wrong. I mean, no pun intended, you know. Um, um, so, yeah, I, I think that, uh, yeah, Patty's going to come out here and, and take care of this guy. Here, I, you, go ahead. Drake go ahead. MMA, I see you right there. Patty looked like shit until he got clocked. If Vargas clocks him, he will take him down and ragdoll him dazed. Interesting question, right? We saw Vendramini crack the chin. Didn't entirely um, have that large of an effect. But here's the, the thing that I do want to make known. Rodrigo Vargas, seven career wins by KO out of his 12 overall. So we know he's got power. But again, 36 years of age. He slowed down considerably. And... Um, his biggest highlight in the last couple of years outside of needing Brock Weaver uh, was a fight on Combate, where I think maybe, maybe it wasn't, I'm not entirely sure, but it's just like, I don't even know. Even if he hits Patty, I just, it, it, here's what I tell him, Clint, my man, die hard pot. Um, it's going to be a fucking fluke if Patty loses. It will be a freak situation where he maybe shoots in for a double like eats a knee or just like I guess is blind. Um, <laughs> like it's not going to be a fight that uh, is – it's a fluke if Vargas wins. Let me say one thing about this kid, Luigi Vandermini. Look, I get he's one and three in the UFC, but like this dude's had moments in all four fights. Okay. He makes his debut against Zaleski, takes Zaleski's back in the first round, which one doesn't simply do. Goes in there against Justin Ayari, knocks him out in like a minute, 12 seconds. Justin Ayari, a guy who Darren Till dropped like seven times and couldn't finish, goes in there against Ferreziam, gets outpointed the first two rounds. Gets a 10-8 in the third round. And then against Patty Pimblett, hits him with his hardest shot. So, like, yeah, Luigi might be one and three in the UFC, but Luigi's still a dangerous guy who's had moments in all of his UFC fights. So, um, I just, like, to me, it's like, oh, Patty got punched in a, in a fist fight and he overcame it and we're going to hold that against him like that? No. No, 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 no. So, yeah, I think Patty Pimblett's going to whoop this dude. Co-main event of the evening in the featherweight division. We got Arnold Almighty Allen. He's 17 and 1, taking on Dan the Hangman Hooker, who is 21 and 11. And currently, they got Arnold Allen minus 125. The comeback on Dan Hooker is plus 105. So the line flipped. Um, I did my job. I bet Al Arnold Allen at plus 105. And now he's the minus 125 favorite. So no matter what, I beat I got the best of the line. I'm happy about that. But now we got to break down. The matchup itself. Look, Dan Hooker, what a stud, man. I mean, this is a guy who will fight anyone, anytime, any place. Um, the range striking, the calf kicks, that beautiful knee up the middle, the opportunistic guillotine. And he's been implementing a lot of new wrestling techniques into his game. He's become a well-rounded, just experienced, grizzled, seasoned vet in the UFC. And he's going to provide a very stern test for Arnold Allen. But I think that Arnold Allen is flying completely under the radar, man. I think that people don't understand how good this kid is because, you know, he's kind of more on the quiet side. And also people 
tend to not have respect for point fighters uh, for some reason because they want to see knockouts and stuff like that. And I get it. You know, I was criticizing Magomed Ankaliev, but then again, you know, uh, Magomed Ankaliev almost got knocked out by a guy with no knees who's, you know, uh, but we'll talk about that later. You know, I can go on about that forever. But, <laughs> but Arnold Allen's out here. And I think that the numbers that I see on Arnold Allen, I think some of these numbers are off as fuck, man. Like, like how can how am I supposed to believe that he only landed 21 strikes against Sodiq Yusuf? Like I watched that fight. I think that's one of the highest level prospect fights I've seen in a long time. I was on the edge of my seat that entire fight. You all, you guys also know how how high I am on Sodiq Yusuf. I think he's fantastic. Um, to say he only landed 21 strikes in that fight is complete horseshit. No, he did not. But he was out there showing a well-rounded game. He was out there mixing in takedowns. He was out there getting knockdowns against Sodiq Youssef. He outpointed him. Like he, This kid can do everything. I've seen him go out there, land over 100 significant strikes in the fight. I've seen him go out there, choke out serious grapplers like Mads Burnell. I've seen him drop serious strikers like Sodiq Youssef. I've seen him go the full distance like... I don't see any holes in Arnold Allen's game. And, you know, it's it's just one of those things where people don't have that much respect for kind of the point fighting style. Yeah, does he play it safe? Yeah, he plays it safe. But he also doesn't take much damage either. And he also knows how to win. I think this kid is wise beyond his years. I think he's one of the brightest prospects. He's just flying under the radar. He's kind of a dark horse because, you know, he barely says two words. But if you think that he's not a fighter, if you think he's not a killer, you're very, very sorely mistaken. And look, Dan Hooker, like I said, this is that litmus test. I mean, we know, like I already said, everything Dan Hooker brings to the table. He's fought everybody. The calf kicks, the range. The size, the the guillotine, the wrestling he's been implementing to his game, the punching power. I mean, Dan Hooker is the fucking man. Like, all due respect. It, it's just that my issue with Dan Hooker is whether you talk about his second UFC fight against Maximo Blanco where he absorbed 132 significant strikes, where you're talking about the Edson fight where he absorbed 126 strikes, the Felder fight where he landed – where he absorbed 110 strikes the Poirier fight where he, land, where he absorbed 153 strikes my boy Dan Hooker takes too many clean shots and a guy like Arnold Allen yeah I mean he's gonna play it safe but if you're hittable against a guy like Arnie he's gonna find those openings man and he's gonna outpoint someone I know the numbers say that Hooker's got more volume than Allen but I'm not sold on these numbers at all because I can point out times where Arnold's gone out there, landed over 100 significant strikes in a fight, not to mention the openings will be there for Dan Hooker to be hit. Dan Hooker's one of these guys that he's got that Kiwi chin. He's got an exceptional confidence in his ability to take shots. He's also got a bit of that tall man defense. Now, I'm not going to be one of these guys that put stock into like, oh, he had his featherweight run a bunch of years ago. It didn't look that great. Therefore, he's not going to look good now. Even though, even though, Bane, back then I was cashing against Dan Hooker at Featherweight. I cashed a plus like 145 on Jason Knight. I cashed on Yair Rodriguez against Dan Hooker. So I've had a good history betting against Dan Hooker. And I think that's going to continue Saturday night. Look, you're giving me dog money on one of my top prospects in the Featherweight division, a guy that I think is completely flying under the radar, a guy that I think doesn't get the respect he deserves. And I'm rolling the dice and taking that dog money. And I think he comes out here, gets the biggest win of his career. I mean, again, I go back to that Sodi Yusuf fight. And y'all might disagree, whatever. But my opinion, that was one of the highest level prospect fights I've seen in a long time. Was on the edge of my seat the entire time. 
And a fight like that, you deserve this name on your resume. And look, if Arnold, if Dan Hooker ends this kid's eight-fight win streak, all due respect, tip my uh, proverbial cap to, to Dan Hooker. I got nothing bad to say about the guy. I just think that Arnold Allen's that guy on the upward trajectory to potentially fighting the top five guys down the line. And I think Saturday night's going to prove that. So give me the dog odds on Arnold Allen, which I already took like two weeks ago. And I think he's going to come out here and beat the always tough Kiwi, Dan Hooker. Now, here's where we differ somewhat slightly, because I, I will at the end of my Hooker uh, devil's advocate time, give a lot of my thoughts on almighty. But in my opinion, Dan Hooker's losses to Dustin Poirier, uh, that, that single loss alone is more impressive than anything Almighty's done inside the octagon. I feel like Arnold Allen, the level of competition is simply um, not all that exceptional, right? Gilbert Melendez, Nick Lenz, Sadiq Youssef, they're good. They're great. Mads Burnell, he just had that main event with Adam uh, Borich. Borich. How do you pronounce that? I don't know, but that was a fantastic Borich. fight that showed – Boris, that's, oh my God, I'm so stupid. Uh, but Burnell's a fantastic win on Arnold's career. I just don't know if he's consistently faced these guys, Felder, Iaquinta, Gilbert Burns, you know, Jim Miller. And um, Dan coming back down is very intriguing for what we just mentioned at the beginning of the broadcast was that 162 is Dan really cutting 16 in uh, several days. I mean, that's a lot on the body depleting it to that extent. How is that going to affect that Kiwi chin? We have not seen Dan Hooker at this weight class in Five years, four years, it has been a serious amount of time. And I mentioned biology earlier. Look, your body does not get better at these cuts. Aldo is a fucking exception. He is an outlier in my mind. And um, oh, Sorry, Hooker, who? I, I I didn't hear you. Who's Jose Aldo. Oh, Jose Aldo. But hey, I've, even even his first fight at Bantamweight. Rice. Exactly. Yeah. He had to get used to it again. So I think that there is so much value on Arnold Allen, but I want – to be stated once again, this is a hugely tough task for him. Islam Makachev, that's going to be a future champion. I think that that guy's getting the belt within the next two years, 18 months or something like that. Michael Chandler, still very good odds if he's uh, able to get past Tony Ferguson, punch his way back into a title conversation. Uh, Dustin Poirier, still a cat that I think could hold that belt. So Hooker, in the last several years since his three-fight win streak, capping off with that Paul Felder uh, robbery. Um, he's only lost the guys that I think are really the top 0.001% of the division. Arnold Allen, Yusef, Lentz, Melendez, those last three, I just don't think they're in the same conversation of Makachev, Chandler, Poirier. Again, the Makachev and Chandler ones, those were quite one-sided affairs. Uh, Hooker didn't look too great in either of them. So there are certainly questions about uh, how dominant they were against Hooker. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, I just, it would be great to see Dan Hooker when he's a fan favorite for a reason. And um, while it would stop Arnold Allen's progression, I think that it just my mind as a fan, taking the, the betting analysis caps off the everything. I just want to see Dan Hooker successful in a weight class again, you know, and um, getting a guy, uh, getting a win over Allen. That puts him in some serious competition, potentially to fight for the featherweight title in the next 18, 24 months. If he's able to string together another win over a top 10 guy. So for me, I want Hooker to win. But now let's talk about Arnold. You mentioned it. He's got that defensive footwork. He's got that crisp boxing. I love the wrestling and how he implements it. Um, he really is a complete fighter at such a young age that there is just so much upside. And I will mention once again, Dan, where the fuck are we fighting? It's the O2. 
O2 you know I mean? Arena, baby. It's the O2. It's simply Arnold's backyard. If this goes to the judges' scorecards, guess what, gang? It's going to be a reversal of Hooker uh, fighting <laughs> against Paul Felder. I feel like he's going to be in the opposite end of that, that uh, scorecard. And so I'm quite confident in Arnold Allen. I do think that that's going to be a nine-fight win streak that he extends it to Saturday night. Um, but – I think that in terms of fights where the line is most accurate, this is this is one where I think all the odds makers and things, minus 115 for Allen, minus 105 for Hooker. This is tight. This is tight. This is a big step up for Allen. I do think that he's going to pass it, though. I mean, it's called rising to the occasion. Like, yes, Dan Hooker has fought the better level of competition. That's not – I would never de- – that's factual. I cannot debate that. But, like, again, like all of our favorite prospects – I mean, Jamal Hill had never fought anybody until he fought somebody. All these guys had never fought anybody until they yeah. fought somebody. So um, GSP, GSP had never fought anybody until he fought Matt Hughes. Like, it, it's just that's how this shit works. At some point, you got to take that step up in competition. And now we're going to see how he passes it. But again, I go back to that Yusuf fight. But then again, maybe y'all aren't as high on Sodik as I am. Dude, I saw some fucking people saying that they thought Alex Caceres won that Sodik fight. <laughs> I think it's like the biggest fucking joke I've heard <laughs> all week. Um, but like, uh, I, I just think that those kind of guys are the future of the division. Um, and then you look at the guys at the top right now. You look at even a kid like Bryce Mitchell, what he's been doing. Um you know, and something that I've been talking about a lot with a lot of these divisions, and let me actually pull up the rankings to make my point, because I know I know the fans have heard me talk about this, but you haven't heard me talk about this, um, that a lot of these guys are about to start being ushered out of the division. Like, for example, you look at the lightweight division right now, you see number five, Michael Chandler. And again, when I say this stuff, like, guys, I respect all these guys. These guys are legends. And th- But what I'm trying to say is, like, number seven in the world is tony ferguson you mean to tell me that these guys like rafael faziv these guys like armin sarukin these guys like mateus gamra these guys like brad riddell you're telling me that they're not about to usher out all these guys out the rankings so that that's what i'm trying to say that this new uh era is emerging and that keeps happening year after year after year kind of like the light heavyweight division you remember when it was machida rampage shogun um all, all these guys chuck forrest uh, like I can go on like they get ushered out year by year. It's the circle of life. Um, you look at uh, welterweight uh, Jorge Masvidal is ranked number seven in the world. Wonder Boy is ranked number six in the world. You mean to tell me that guys like Hamza Chimaev uh, and Shavkat Rekmanov are not about to come usher these guys out? These are the points I'm trying to make. So, yeah, ha- you know, has Hooker fought the better competition? Yeah, of course he has. Just like Jorge Masvidal. And Neil Magny and fucking Wonderboy have fought better competition than Shafkat and Hamza. But that's not the point. Just like Tony Ferguson's fought better competition than Rafael Fazeev and Armin Sarukian. That's not the point. The point is that the circle, the circle of lie, like, you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I get it. I completely agree. It's the, it's the nature of the sport. It comes in waves. And uh, you mentioned light heavy. I'll talk about heavy, right? You see Cyril Gaon come in and just kind of be a, an allude to the next step of that MMA game. And the question is, right, can Dan Hooker turn the time back? Can he kind of reverse the flow of nature and uh, how the sport evolves? I don't know. You know, I don't know. I'd want him to, but Boy, it's uh, it's it's a, it's such an interesting one, and um, gah, I don't know. It's just a good fight overall. Look, either way, if he does respect, it, I mean, I, like, 
one thing that I want, you know, I want everyone to think for themselves and do whatever they do. But like, you guys need to show respect, win, lose, or draw on, on these bets in general. Like, if I lose this bet on Allen, which by the way, I, like, I got the best of the line, so I feel like I did my part there. But like, if I lose this bet, you're not gonna see me be like, oh my god, Arnold should have done this and that. No, props to Dan Hooker. That's it. Period. Point blank. You have to show these guys respect, and and, and that's that's the bottom line. So. If Arnold's not ready for this, then props to Hooker. That, that's it, man. I mean, like, like, oh, for my boy right here brought up a great example. I bet this kid David Onama against Mowgli Benitez. Everybody's mm-hmm. giving me shit. Who the fuck has David Onama fought? Well, now he's fought Gabriel. But up until then, yeah, I get it. But if you can see potential and you get a chance against kind of someone who has maybe seen better days, you take advantage of those opportunities. So... You know, it's just another one of those spots. And I get dog money this time. (laughs) And we're talking overall. I mean, shit, if you've bet on every single one of Arnold Allen's fights, guess what? He cashes more often than not, correct? And uh, you bet on Dan Hooker, different sort of thing. So if you're looking at maybe like a long-term thing, if Allen doesn't get it done against Hooker, if he doesn't get the hand raised, I'm still betting on him next time because historically it's a guy that, that is more often than not cashing those bets. So oh, yeah, and I, that's I the agree. long-term yeah. angle. I'm glad yeah. you brought that up because, like, uh, okay, let's say you bet Arnold every single fight. You're 8-0. You lose this one, you're 8-1. Oh, my God. Are we going to ride yeah. him off because we're 8-1 <laughs> now? No. You keep riding that that uh, train until the wheels fall off, and the wheels ain't falling off anytime soon. He's just a kid. That's the scary part about it. So, yeah, we can go on forever on this one, but I think it's time to get down to main event of the evening in the heavyweight division we got alexander volkov he's 34 and 9 taking on tom aspinall who is 11 and 2 but between you and me banny's 12 and 1 because one of those fights was like a dq loss because it's some Mm -hmm. elbows and i mean he whooped the dude's ass so i don't consider that a loss in my book and hopefully i don't bet on him when he loses a dq anytime soon (laughs) (laughs) but currently they got Tom Aspinall minus 130. The comeback on Alexander Volkov is plus 110. So there's another spot similar to the uh, Arnold Allen Hooker fight where I bet the young gun, but I bet him before the line flipped. I got the best of the line. I bet uh, Aspinall at plus 110. He's currently minus 130. So that's a different bet altogether. I was willing to take dog odds on you know a guy that I think is the future of the division. But let's break down this fight. Look, I get it. Volkov's been in there with everybody. Volkov's got over how many times the experience is Aspinall. There's questions about what happens if Aspinall goes past the first or second round. Aspinall hasn't truly been tested. Like, I, the guys, you're not going to get a debate from me on that at all. But I also recognize talent. I also recognize the fact that, like, I think this guy kind of stands out. I mean, when besides, like, I'm not comparing him to Cyril Ghosn, but one similarity as a Cyril Ghosn is you don't often see heavyweights with that footwork and with that kind of speed for men that big. Because, like, back in the day and hashtag free Kane Velasquez, Kane Velasquez was the guy who was known for his speed, but he was kind of like a smaller heavyweight. Now you're seeing these kids like Asma, who's like six foot five, but he's moving around like a welterweight. Like, I love seeing the evolution of this. Well, you see Cyril Gaon, who's also 6'5", fucking moving around the whole time. Like, I love seeing these kinds of things. And with Volkov, I mean, what can I say, man? 6'7". The guy, for, for a heavyweight, you don't have to see a good kicking game from heavyweights. He's got a really good kicking game. He's got those long-range strikes. Um, from time to time, you know, he might mix in a takedown or two. He's very opportunistic. It, it's just that 
with Aspinall, you know, maybe this is a little bias on my part. I have bet him pretty much every single UFC fight. Like, uh, I even laid, like, minus 350 against that Alan Badeau guy, like, straight. Just <laughs> I thought he should have been, like, minus 1950. You know what I'm saying, man? Yeah. Um, but uh, this is the first time I get dog odds on Aspinall. So it's not like I'm laying chalk against with all these unknowns. I'm taking a dog shot because I want to find out if he's ready for this. And... Listen, Alexander Volkov, people talk about, oh, what happens if the fight goes past the first round uh, with Aspinall? It hasn't truly been proven that much. And yeah, I mean, you, you got a decent point, but it also hasn't really been proven that he gasses either. Like people are going to bring up the Arlovsky fight. Guys, when you unload on a 50 strike combo on someone and the ref saying, move fighter, move fighter. I mean, he thought the fight was about to be over. He blew his load. And guess what? He still finished the fight in the second round. And with Volkov, people are saying, oh, all Volkov has to do is extend this fight and he automatically wins. Well, let me remind you, the last two times Volkov went five rounds, he lost. Yeah, one was against a wrestler, one was against a striker. Those guys are higher ranked than Aspinall. I completely get it. But the bottom line is like, what, it's a, it's automatically a lock that if Volkov extends it, he wins? Like, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Like, we just don't know what happens if Aspinall goes past the first, the first or second round. But who's to say it will go past the first or second round? Yeah. Volkov hasn't been finished too many times. I understand that. This is a completely different matchup. I think there's a big speed advantage here for Tom Aspinall. Now, can that speed advantage last throughout the five rounds? That's what we. That's what you know is left to be determined. And I can't wait to find out if he does or doesn't. Whatever we will, we will find out. But I got dog odds on a guy who I think has a big speed advantage. I think he's got a confidence advantage. I think that Volkov, to be frank did not look his best in that Marcin Tybor fight. Now, I know we have like a 50-fight sample size, and that was like a one-time thing. It wasn't a one-time thing, because if you've been watching his whole career, he has had some shaky performances along the way. But, I mean, I thought that that was a sign of a decline, because you got to take this into consideration. Even though the Cyril Gaon fight wasn't a title fight, it was a title eliminator fight. And every fighter's dream is to be a champion. And once you realize that you can't achieve that dream, motivation drops significantly. I mean, you see that with all your favorite fighters. I mean, there's, you know, there's exceptions to the rules like Glover Teixeira, like fucking amazing what he's been able to accomplish. But for the most part, once, you know, that dream is crushed that you're not going to become champion, it's very hard to pick yourself back up, especially when you've had a career as long as Alexander Volkov. And with Tom Aspinall, he's not out here like this kid Mokayev. Is it Mokayev or is it Fraudkayev? I cannot wait to find out. But he's not out here like this kid Mokayev saying, oh, I can stand and bang with Davis and Figueredo right now. Oh, I can wrestle with fucking Brandon Moreno right now. I'm going to be the next, you know, I'm going to beat John Jones' record for fastest champion. Like, How many times do we see Edmund Shabazi and Macy Barber saying shit like that? Aspinall's got a good head on his shoulders. Like yeah. he he oozes confidence, but it doesn't border on arrogance. And he's very open and honest about his anxieties going into the fight. He knows that he's like, hey, I've got the skills to compete with all the top heavyweights. I just don't have the experience. Like, how self-fucking aware is it to hear a young kid say shit like that? So I do think this guy stands out, man. And at dog odds, I'm willing to roll the dice. Look. If it's vet lesson time, then it's vet lesson time, man. And I, I, I'll take my L like a man like I always do. I ain't going to make no excuses. But I'm willing to roll the dice on dog odds on Tom Aspinall and see if he's ready to rise to the occasion. Because, again, when I say rise to the occasion, yes, Volkov's fought the better guys. Yes, Volkov's more experienced. We get that. Like, that's not in question. But I think Aspinall can rise to the occasion. I think he's got a big speed advantage. And uh, I'm picking him to win this fight. So let's fucking get it, Aspinall.
I'm going to continue with one of your, your last points there. Obviously, the mental state of Tom is uh, wise beyond his years. And I did think, I did see some people suggesting that he was going back on his word. He was like, I don't want to be fast-tracked in this division. I don't want to rush to a title shot. I want to take his time. And then they're like, well, why is he in a main event spot against, uh, you know, one of the top guys in the division? I'm like, well, do you think he's going to turn down that opportunity? Do you fucking think that Tom Aspinall is going to say, oh, yeah, the chance to main event in my backyard? I don't want that. Of course he's going to take that. He's not going back on his word. He's just adjusting somewhat. And I think this is a, a proper step up for him with how he's been getting these uh, fights finished, with how all of them have been stoppages. I think it's about time that we see him uh, face a guy like Volkov who does present some challenges stylistically. I will say, unpacking those three losses that Volkov's had in the recent years, he had the gone one. Talented striker, sophisticated, future champ. Uh, shut him down, completely neutralized him. Uh, you talk about Curtis Blades, one of the best wrestlers that we've ever seen at that weight class, dominated him. Volkov still had success in those later moments. We saw Blades get a bit exhausted, and Volkov was still there. Derek Lewis, flu KO. I mean, it's the fucking Black Beast. He's the king of KOs. It happens. Um, the wins, though, are, are, are very interesting and where I'm a bit torn. Um, Tybora, obviously, I, I got to agree. I'm like, man, that wasn't the best. Uh, Overeem. Finished him. Walt Harris finished him. Hardy, that's kind of a similar one as the type war where I'm like, why weren't you finishing Greg Hardy if now everybody's finishing Greg Hardy? Volkov, there's no urgency really sometimes when he fights. He doesn't have that killer instinct, I don't think. Um, but Fabrizio Verdun, KO'd him. Stephen Shrew, KO'd him. Now, here's where the common denominator in all of those situations is. Questionable durability. Those guys did not have the proper chin uh, really when they fought. Overeem, I mean, was just shot to hell. Walt Harris has never displayed uh, the ability to take it. Somewhat of a glass cannon conventionally, as they say. Verdum bit over the hill in 2018. Um, Struve, again, same thing. So he's only beating these guys. He's only finishing these guys by questionable chins, right? They've got that, that shot durability. Tom Aspinall has been tested in that way, shape, or form. So to be honest, we don't know. But at the same time, I'm willing to bet that he can stand and trade in a firefight and not get caught. I'm willing to bet that, you know, those pot shots that Volkov takes that typically start the, the decline of those fights, um, I think Aspinall can wear through it. Now, the cardio questions is where my biggest gray area is. He's never been outside seven minutes inside a fight. Right. He's never progressed past that point. And um, I agree. I don't really want to put stock in that Arlovsky performance and the way that his cardio suffered because of the opportunity that he was seeing. I'm going to finish this guy. I'm going to unload. It's time. Um, you can't put weight really into that one. So the cardiovascular system is the big question on Aspinall's side. There's a lot of certainty, though, with Volkov. I think that he has displayed time and time again. He's got that cardio. He can go at that pace. And the biggest outcomes that I'm seeing, Dan, I'll, I'll give you the two ones that are just in my brain. Aspinall gets it done early, finishes Volkov in his hometown, massive finish, rushes him, that big one too. I mean, he's got so much power or right, drops him, gets the sub within, I'm going to go two and a half. I'll say two and a half. I can see Aspinall getting it done, but I can also see almost as easily Volkov taking over as this fight progresses. Aspinall losing faith in his weapons, sort of not necessarily crumbling under the, the, the lack of success, but just running out of options and running out of steam and Volkov sweeping it on the scorecards. If we're talking about guys who aren't from the, the that UK segment getting decisions, I think that Volkov can put a very clear 48-47 together if Aspinall's not having the success that he typically has early. And we don't see people bull rush Volkov in that fashion and succeed. 
historically, it's just not simply what happens. Derek Lewis, that's a Hail Mary KO at the end of the round. I mean, shit, that is that is not something that has happened. So is Tom Aspinall on that same level with power? Is he on that same level of technique as Cyril Gone to shut him down? Does he have the wrestling and grappling that Curtis Blades does? Obviously not remains to be seen. I don't think he's at that level in any of those three comparisons, but he's going to need to be something a bit more, I think, than what he's shown against Arlovsky, Spivak, Bado, because those guys aren't Volkov. Similarly, I agree, Aspinall's the future, but Volkov is still very much in this. And um, it's all about that gas tank. If Aspinall can't manage it, if he if he if he blows the load like he does against Arlovsky, I don't know. That takedown defense is still quite strong for Volkov. And I think he learned a lot of lessons through 25 minutes with Curtis Blades. And those are my two. Dan, those are my two for the main event. 48-47, dominant decision. Volkov pulls up late, or Aspinall gets it done in under two and a half. Okay, I like it. So we're gonna talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. But before I do that, I got to give a big shout out to my sponsor, Prize Picks. And everybody, do me a huge favor. Smash that like button. Hit that subscribe button. Follow my boy at Ben the uh, Ben the Bane Davis. There you go. <laughs> I, I want you to say Ben the Ben Davis three times as fast as you can. Ben, ben the Bane Davis or Ben the Ben Davis? Which one do you want? Ben the Bane Davis. Ben the Bane Davis. Ben the Bane Davis. Ben the Bane Davis. Hey. It's not entirely difficult, but it is long. It's an extended username. I okay. wish I could have a shorter one. But it now try this. Say Jimmy the Brute Crew three times as fast as you can in an Australian accent. Oh God. let me let me get into like. Do you ever do like an accent and you have like a key phrase that gets Jimmy you the, the Brute Crew? Jimmy the Brute Crew? Jimmy the Brute Crew? <laughs> oh, I could die. Jimmy the Brute Crew. Jimmy the Brute Crew. Jimmy the Brute Crew. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So. Got to give a huge shout out to our sponsor, Prize Picks. So, guys, I truly believe that Prize Picks is the easiest and simplest way to make money on daily fantasy sports. You can combine sports. Uh, you, there's all kinds of things you can do. But last week, I take advantage um, the unders on significant strikes for grapplers, guys that aren't even looking to strike at all. Like, uh, you remember when Ramiz Brachimai fought that kid Gilmore? The over-under on significant strikes with 34. The dude literally landed zero strikes. It's easy <laughs> money. So last week, Javid Basharat against Trevin Jones. The over-under on takedowns for Javid was under 2.5 takedowns. Guess what? He goes out there, lands zero takedowns, easy cash. Carl Roberson, the over-under on takedowns was over-under 1.5. I hit the under 1.5. Doesn't even land one takedown. So guys, hit up Price Picks. Use my code BATTLE for an 100% deposit match. Up to $100 and check out the easiest way and simplest to make money on daily fantasy sports. That's prize picks. Use my code battle and check them out. And let's get this motherfucking money, guys. Now, Bane, let's talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So in your opinion, my man, what is the fight to watch for UFC London? I'm going to take a bit of a different pick than I think most. I'm going to say fight to watch Muhammad Makai versus Cody Durden. Does he have the ability to rise above this inexperience kind of coming from the amateur for so long? Can he break into the big scene or will the somewhat battle-tested UFC vet in Cody Durden cash in at plus 290? I think that that's A-O too wide of a line. And B, I mean, Makayev, you got to back up this big fucking talk. So that's one that I'm very invested in the outcome fighter to watch. I'm going to go with something that I think a lot of people are going to agree with. Patty Pimblett. 
Let's go with the batty. I think that this kid is the next level and this success is going to continue. And I believe, I mean, put it down in paper. Let's write this in cement, baby. It's going to be another massive highlight reel KO. I see Vargas not surviving within five minutes. I see Patty dancing around that octagon. So that's the fighter. That's the fight. Dan, what about you? My fight to watch. I mean, look. Not to not to be boring, but it's the fucking co-main event of the evening between <laughs> Arnold Allen and Dan Hooker. I mean, listen, man, I want to know if Arnold Allen is truly the dark horse of the featherweight division like I think he is. I mean, nine fight or eight fight win streak would be nine with a win here. We've seen all elements of his game. He can play it safe. He can knock guys out. He can tap guys out. I mean, he can do it all and against a true litmus test against a veteran and established grizzled guy like dan hooker who you know doesn't he, he won't take a knee for anybody man so but he might he but he might give a knee to somebody bang uh that's a, <laughs> that's, that's my fight to watch and my fighter to watch is mike grundy i want to see mike grundy come out here and make a statement man there was so much hype on him coming into the ufc He's fighting with a heavy heart, you know, all condolences to what his dad's going through, man. You know, our prayers are out for you, man. And he's got an opponent here in Makwan who's clearly on the decline. Like, I don't want to see a, a close split decision fight. I don't want to see him barely edge out. I want to see him come out here and dominate this fight and show that, like, hey, UFC signed me for a reason. And the reason isn't because I'm Darren Till's training partner. The reason is because I'm someone that's going to make some noise in this division. So for that reason, Mike Grundy, is my fighter to watch well bane we did it it's going down this saturday afternoon live at the o2 arena in london england they can follow you at ben the bane davis on twitter they can follow me at best fight picks subscribe to half the battle on itunes soundcloud youtube stitcher spotify all the places we are available i'll be back on tuesday for dan's tuesday night contender and then thursday to break down the next card um ben Thank you so much for joining me, man. Any message for the fans before we get out of here? Just got to say, tune into this guy's noise on Twitter. I mean, you've got some great takes, better bets. Um, always follow along half the battle. Just follow me up into Ben Davis on most platforms. And uh, gosh, I'm just excited for UFC London, Dan. That's all I got to say. Hell yeah, Ben. Appreciate your time. All the fans, again, smash that like button, hit the subscribe, and leave us some comments afterwards, man. Let us know what you thought about today's guest co-host, Ben, because I thought he fucking killed it, and I can't wait to have him back. <laughs> it's going to be like 800. He fucking sucks. This guy, do not let him in the studio. Bane is... <laughs> you know what? Hey, if we get 800 comments saying you suck, I'm bringing you back next week because, it's because look, they can love you, they can hate you, but as long as they're talking about you, I'm interested. But if we get one comment like, eh, then, you know, then I might have to call up your attorney. But aside from that, man, no, it's been an absolute pleasure. You killed it, man. I truly appreciate you stepping up. Um, and to the fans, thank you all so much for the support you've shown me over the years. And let's just, let's just keep rising up, rising up, rising up. Ben, keep up the good work. All the fans, thank you. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.